Our call to worship is found in 1 John 4, 7, 12, and your pew Bibles is 11, 31. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever been seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Today's gospel reading is uh, John thirteen thirty four through 35. It's page 994 in your pew Bible. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. They're in here so I can say this. I love that choir piece. You are blessed to have a choir that although it is not large, it is good. They hit the notes they were supposed to hit at the time. They were supposed to hit them and together. And I was very pleased. Um, Used to be in choirs a lot. Um, Not so much in the last 13 years, but um, I like a lot of different kinds of worship, praise, and congregational songs. But to hear a choir that does a piece the way it was written does my heart good, especially with a melody like, or with the words like that one. Before I begin, I'm going to have a prayer in just a minute. Is there anyone here who knows what Valentine's Day, how it got started? It's a, it's a celebration that, that people have every year. Hallmark does well. I think C's and other candy companies do well. The florists uh, really rake it in. I heard of flowers uh, in New York going for $70 a dozen. Um, long stem, beautiful. Uh, if I'm not mistaken... The fellow who is named Valentine could very well have been Valentine in the early days, uh, was later called a saint. By the way, are there any saints here today? Yes, so all that saint business just means that he was a follower of Jesus Christ and cleansed by the blood of our Savior. He was a priest during the time of the Roman Empire and... um, the emperors did not want soldiers to be married because they would be worried about returning home to their wives and families. So he wanted them to all be single. Now, being aware that uh, humans often have the need for um, intimacy, 
he provided um, escorts, we might call them, for the soldiers, but Valentine uh, secretly married soldiers to their sweethearts before they went into battle. And so it was actually someone who took marriage and its sacredness seriously. So it's not just Hallmark and candy stores and flower shops. Uh, It's also a celebration of marriage. Enough of that. Let's seek the Lord. Lord, you are more than Valentine. You are the one who loves us with an everlasting love. We lift our hearts and hands and voices to you in praise this day. For you alone are worthy of our praise, and you, the Magnificent One, love us in spite of who we are. Lord, this morning as I stand before your children, your beloved ones, I pray that you would help me to open your word to them that the words that are spoken may be from your word and not just from me. May my mouth be no more than an instrument played by your spirit to deliver your message. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to have you open your Bible, please, to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. We're going to look at the end of chapter 5. In fact, I would like for you to look at the last verse, which is verse 48, a verse that used to scare the living daylights out of me. I'll be honest with you, you may have been frightened by it also. It says, be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, boy. Uh, I think I'm in trouble. Um, I will confess to you that on the way to church today, I was driving at a rate of excessive fuel consumption. (laughs) I have not been perfect on my own account ever ever in my entire life, but I want you to notice that there is an extremely important word in that text, and no, it's not perfect. Look, let's look at it. It says, be perfect. What is the next word? Therefore. Maybe when you were in school, the teacher said, when you see therefore, ask what it's there for, Right? Did your teachers ever tell you that? That means it is drawing a conclusion from what has previously been stated. So if you're using a Bible that uses paragraphs, we're going to go to the beginning of that paragraph. If not, look at verse 43. For it is a paragraph, the beginning of a new thought, or somewhat of a new thought. Jesus is speaking, so these are authoritative words. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, there are not a lot of people who say it in just those words nowadays. 
But, oh boy, is that the philosophy of the world around us. If you think seriously and rationally for a moment, you will know that that's true. Love your neighbor. That's the people who think like I do, who vote like I do, who are oriented as I am, who are from my country. We love them. But there are others. We may not think of them as our enemies. We might think of them as enemies of God because, after all, if they're enemies of God, I don't really have to love them. They're God's enemies. I'm sticking up for God. However, do you remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans? I believe it's chapter 5. When he said, while we were God's enemies, what did Jesus do for us? He died for us. So what did God think of his enemies? He loved them. So folks, you don't want to be messing with the people that God loves. Right? So when we love our enemies... It means that we cannot hate, we cannot discriminate against, we cannot wish that they would just evaporate and blow away anyone. Whoa, that's hard. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I, Jesus is speaking just to remind you, but I, Jesus, tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Ah, of all the things that Jesus ever told us to do, is there any command more difficult than that. Love your enemies. Once in another state, in another time, long, long ago, or very near, it's not important, the time, I was the pastor of a church that was so divided that in board meetings, it wasn't held in the sanctuary, but there was an aisle And you know what side of every issue people would be on based on which side of the aisle they sat on. And as the saying goes, east is east and west is west and never the twain shall meet. It was such a cantankerous congregation. By the way, this is not in California, so I'm not going to tell you which of the other 49 states it was. A congregation so cantankerous that I actually became physically ill at board meeting time. There was a a desire to fight and argue in that church that just brought about physical pain. I actually had to have surgery 
because of the damage done by the stress of that congregation. Add to that the fact that my wife was the principal of their church school. Things had gone along fairly well. There were some, some of the folks from that church were on the board, which means that it wasn't a pleasant board. But without any warning, they just refused to renew my wife's contract. And I must tell you, I had a very hard time loving that congregation. So you know what I did? I said, God, your word's pretty plain. I have to love them. And not only that, what does it say? After love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. How do you not be half-hearted in that kind of a prayer? Now, I'm telling you these things not because I want you to think about what a nasty church that was. Last I knew, they were better. They'd had a preacher for several years. For the years that I was aware of, including my own, no pastor was there longer than three years. One left after six months was a joyful place to be. It's better now. Better now. But you know what I had to do? I had to say, Lord, I don't love these people. And what they did to my wife makes me so angry, I could spit. That's really mad. But you have told me clearly that I am to pray for them, and that I am to love them. There's not a whole lot of desire for me to do that, Lord. Not much at all. But I know that I love you, and that you can make it possible for me to love that congregation. And if you will change me to where I can do that, I will try... To not get in your way. I'm ashamed to tell you how many years I had to pray that prayer. All right, I'll tell you. Four. Four years. But I can tell you at this point, my rage, my indignation, my thinking of them as enemies is gone. Am I just such a great guy that I can just forgive all of that? Not on your life. Or as a comedian I like says, nay, nay. (laughs) Nay, nay. I am not responsible. You see, God never, ever, ever tells us to do anything that is impossible. Because how foolish would that be? God's not going to say, Frank, I want you to create an oak tree right outside the the church here. I could plant one, but I certainly couldn't speak and it be done or command and it stand fast. God says, I never ask you to create oak trees. I ask you to love your neighbors and love your enemies.
So it has to be possible. And you know what? It is allowing God to do something in me that God has already long ago promised that he would do. You still have your Bibles. Go to the Old Testament. Go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31. And boy, do I love this chapter. This is not, We're going to go to, to the end of the chapter. But at, at verse 3, it says, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God has told me my love for you is not conditioned on your behavior. It's not conditioned on what family you were born into. It has nothing to do with anything other than I am your God and your divine Father, and I love you. That's it. It's not conditional. It's not temporary. It is everlasting. That means as long as God exists... And I see no foreseeable or imagined future where God will not exist. Therefore, it will always and forevermore be true that God loves me. But let's go to the end of that chapter or toward the end. Let's start at verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant that should be renewed, a renewed covenant with the house of Israel, because God already made a covenant with them. I will make with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, that would be all of God's people. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. Why? Because they broke my covenant. So when the people tried to keep the covenant, what happened? They broke it. That was an interesting answer. (laughs) I didn't mean to embarrass you, I'm sorry. (laughs) What happened? Right. (laughs) What happened is that The people broke the covenant. That's why God made a new covenant. There was nothing wrong with the covenant. You know what the covenant was? I will be your God. You will be my people. The new covenant is the same. He's going to be our God. We're going to be his people. The difference is we messed up on the first covenant. You know what the penalty is for a broken covenant? In those days, a covenant was ratified by taking an animal, cutting the animal in half and then into pieces. And the partners in the covenant would walk among those pieces of the cut up and severed animals. The term was actually to cut a covenant. So if both were saying, if I break this covenant, You can do to me what we just did to this animal. Now you go into the book of Genesis and you read where God made the covenant with Abraham. Think about this. God said to Abraham, I want you to get some animals. 
I want you to cut them in two, leave a space in between them. You remember this? Abraham fell asleep and he saw a fire pot. Fire is a symbol of God's holiness. So we know what the fire pot represents. It's a manifestation of the holiness of God. The fire passes between the pieces of the cut animal. What is God saying through that symbolic gesture? Abraham and all of your descendants and all of the people of the earth, if you break this covenant, I will die. Do you catch the majesty of that concept? If we break the covenant, who deserves to die? We do. But God said long ago in the days of Abraham, if you break the covenant, I'll die for you. So when God says, I'm going to make a new covenant, I'm going to renew this covenant, it won't be like the one before because you broke that. But God says in this new covenant, he's going to do something. Let's take a look again. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God is saying, I'm going to make it possible for you, my child, whom I love with an everlasting love, to think divine thoughts and to feel divine emotions. So when God says, love your enemies, he's saying, I will, I promise, I will make it possible for you. Now, let's go back to Matthew 5. Uh, All of my place markers are falling out, but that's okay. I think I can find them again. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven uh, let's let's call it children, shall we? In those days, everything was dealing with the with the guys. Quias, uh, son. But God has daughters too, so let's use techna, children. Okay, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, why would God want us to pray for those who persecute us? He's talking about serious prayer. He's not talking about having a prayer written out, recorded on a continuous loop on a player, or a digital recording that's set on continuous repeat. That would be like some of the cultures who 
write a prayer on a little wheel, and then they've got little weighted things on it, and they spin them around, and every time it goes around, their God is supposed to hear the prayer, called a prayer wheel. God's not talking about that. He's talking about us coming to our loving Father in heaven and reminding ourselves and God that our commitment is to love these people. Now, it doesn't matter that you might think you can fool God. You can't. Never in all of eternity will anybody ever have a surprise party for God. Because God knows everything that's going on all the time. So if you don't admit something to God, you haven't loved God in the dark. He already knows that. When we admit something to God, who are we reminding? Ourselves. We need to pray so that we are reminded of what we need and that God is the source of all that we need. That God is the supplier. Prayer isn't to remind God. He never forgets. Prayer is our acknowledgement to God that we still know that this is what we need. By the way, that's what confession is. Confession isn't saying, God, I know you didn't know this, but you know, I, I actually lied yesterday. God says, did you really? It was this circumstance, it was at this time. You know, God already knows that. When we confess, we're telling God that we acknowledge that we know what he already knew that we did. So when we're praying for someone, we are praying that God will remind us again that the only way to be loving and forgiving is by bringing it to him and allowing him to write it once again in our minds. Now, we're going to go on. We're not going to just stop here at this passage. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rains on on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, God loves all of us. This is not blasphemy. God loves Lucifer. Doesn't mean he's not saving. (laughs) Lucifer has made a choice that he is not abandoning, that he will be rebellious against God. I'll bet you that Christopher Donner's parents love him. Not real excited about what their son did. But they love him. Can't imagine why it happened. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Everybody loves the people that are nice to them. But now, here comes here comes the hard part. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How are we perfect? 
not by our choice, not by our actions, not by our determination, not because we've got good, strong bootstraps with which to pull ourselves up. We are perfect when we acknowledge to God that we cannot love without Him. That we are hateful people without Him. Perfection comes when we acknowledge that the source of that love is not in ourselves. It is in God. There is no other source. Now, chapter 22 of Matthew. Again, the teachings of Jesus. Starting in verse 14, excuse me, 34. Even with glasses, I can't see. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, if you hadn't read this previously, and I were to address a congregation like this, what is the greatest commandment? A lot of Seventh-day Adventists would point to which one? Number four. You know the hardest commandment other than love your neighbor to keep? Number one. No other gods. Well, we don't have a little fat Buddha in our living room. We don't have a Hindu shrine. We don't have a um, a wheel from the you know from the uh, Muslims, the Hindus, the Buddhists. We don't have any other gods. Oh, yes, we do. You can see that God anytime you stand before a mirror. Because we love ourselves often more than we love God. So they're saying, okay, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus, who, by the way, is profoundly equipped to answer the question correctly, is he not? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And verse 40, All the law and the prophets Hang on these two commandments. That means that if we truly love God with all our heart, we will never offend Him. If we truly love others as we love ourselves, we will never offend them or harm them or wrong them. How can that be? How can... The love 
that we have for God and the love that we have for others be so important that all of the commandments hang on those things? How can it be? Let's go to the writings of Paul. This is, you know, if this is true, how can it be? Am I just taking a verse here and there and twisting it to say something that it does not say? Well, we've seen it in the Old Testament, Jeremiah. We've seen it in the teachings of Jesus. Let's look at the Apostle Paul. He wrote about half the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let's start in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Let's begin at verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding. That's good advice. You know, don't have debts. You know, we all have some. Some of us have more than others. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has what? Fulfilled the law. Didn't Jesus say that all of the commandments hang on whether you love God and whether you love others? And Paul is saying if you really love others, you fulfilled the law. How can that be? What, as John, the beloved disciple, as he puts it, God is what? Love. God is love. And in order for us to truly love God and to truly love others, how does that get done? Is it our determination? Is it our willpower? Is it our strength? Is it that we're just too stubborn to not? It's because God, according to chapter 31, verse 33 of Jeremiah, God has put his character, that's what the love of God, the law of God is, God has put his character in our minds and written it in our hearts. You want to be a true commandment keeper? Give God permission to change your thinking and to change your motives. Simple, but not easy. Because we like the way we think. And we like the way we feel. It's not always good. But we like it. Somebody harms us, we're going to take that feeling and we're going to hug it to our chest and hold it there forever on our own. By the way, if you think of that feeling, resentment, hurt feelings, anger, think of that as a block of ice. And now imagine yourself holding that block of ice Does the person you're angry with get cold? Mm -mm. They might be warm, sitting in front of a fireplace, drinking hot chocolate. You know, (laughs) they're not cold. Who gets cold? You do. And so when we say to God, 
I'm giving you permission today to change my thinking, to change my desires. God says, absolutely. I promised long ago I would do it. I will. And God puts as much of his character into our lives as he can until we say, hold on just a minute, God. Uh, You're moving a little too fast here. You can't possibly expect me to love. I'm going to step on some toes here. I know it, but I'm going to do it. You can't possibly expect me to love homosexuals. You can't possibly expect me to love people who shoot down little kids in classrooms. You can't possibly expect me to love radical Islamists. God says, love your enemies, except for those whose sexual orientation you do not appreciate. God doesn't say, love your enemies, except for those who do things that make you miserable. God doesn't say that. Because God says he sends the sun and the rain and his eternal love on all, good or bad. Use an illustration that hopefully will make you see this a little bit better. I want you to think of God and his working in our lives. God is like a radio tower broadcasting at the highest frequency, the highest intensity, the greatest number of watts possible. And God has made individual hearts like radios. I'm going to be simple here. Back in my day, radios had two dials before push buttons and electronics and stuff. One was on and off. Actually, it wasn't, yeah, one was for changing the channel, and the other was for on and off, but also volume control. We're not, we're all, God's voice is reaching us. It is so strong, there are no other channels, okay? But the on and off volume control is our choice. God's broadcasting clear signal. But when we don't like what God is broadcasting, sometimes we turn down the volume. We don't want to hear that quite so loud. The problem is when we keep turning down the volume, it's harder to hear God at any time. So God's promised in the end with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he's coming in with a booster. He's going to broadcast so strongly that even if you've got it turned down where you can't hear anything, you're going to hear him again. And it's going to be loud and clear and the only way to stop it is to turn against the resistance on that little dial until it goes click and it's off. God's still broadcasting. My receiver may be off. So God's love is that continual stream of the voice of the Holy Spirit 
There may be some who will turn him off. But that doesn't mean God's love is not still there for them. The reason that Revelation 20 speaks about a great white throne judgment where all the dead, that'd be all the people who've not accepted the Lord, are there to stand before the throne. The reason is so that God can say, if it were up to me, you'd be in that city right there with me. But I love you so much, I'm giving you your choice. You have chosen to say no to me. But before I give you what you ask to just go away and leave me alone, I want you to know that even now, I love you. See, God is love all the time. And God wants his ways to be in our minds and in our hearts. And he promises to give it to us. The only thing that stands in the way is me or you. We are the ones who determine. So back to what Paul says. Romans 13. Let no debt remain outstanding except a continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law, the commandments. And he's going to give some examples. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not covet. We might put in here, remember the Sabbath day. Because he says, and whatever other commandments there may be, that means every commandment God has ever given, whatsoever commandments there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. You know, last week we were talking about how there is nothing that we can do to earn salvation. I stand by that. There's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. But there is something that we can do to prevent it. We can say, no, God, I don't want your law, your character, your love in my mind and my heart. There are people I find way too despicable to love. God might say to you, have you ever thought that if you loved them and prayed for them, they might change? Have you ever thought that I want you to be my instrument to show to these despicable people that those who truly embrace me have a heart so loving that even though they do things that I do not like, 
I can still love them. People who do things often do them because they are broken. Who is to say that God is not asking you to be the instrument in his hands to heal the brokenhearted? A little lady from Gorham, Maine, wrote in a book called The Ministry of Healing, page 143. Christ's method alone brings true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled among men as one desiring their good. That's the first step. That means that you cannot be successful in reaching people for Jesus Christ if you do not see them as brothers and sisters for whom Christ died. Ethnicity, sexual orientation, personal habits, rebellion against God are not barriers to God's love. As Paul put it, for such were some of you before you received the forgiveness of Christ. We have to first see other people as God's children. We have to desire good for them. But you know what else we have to do? We have to find out what they need. It's not just see them as needy people. We need to find out what do they need. It may be that they just need someone to care. It may mean that they need someone to live a genuine life. Gandhi once said that he might become a Christian if he ever saw one who professed to be one ever really lived what he professed. That's not his words. That's the Haynes paraphrase. We've got to meet them, see them as children of God. We've got to find out what they need and meet their needs. Start praying that God will make you aware and willing to meet needs. And you will see needy people everywhere. Everywhere. Gas stations, street corners, freeway on-ramps. People tattooed to the point where you can barely see their skin in its natural state. People pierced in ways that just make your sympathy pains crawl up and down your being, thinking, that's got to hurt. People living in relationships that you don't think are valid. People professing views that make your heart 
turn over. You've got to be a friend first and meet their needs. When you start acting like Jesus to the people you meet, you will win their confidence. And when you win their confidence, then you can bid them follow Jesus. I'm going to leave you with this last thought. We love because he, God, Christ, first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. You know what that means? That means that we cannot really love God if we refuse to love other people. That's why it is the hardest commandment to keep. But remember God's promise, Jeremiah 31, verse 33. God's promised that he will put his character, his love in our minds and our hearts if we will let him. That doesn't mean you say, okay, God, it's the 15th of February 2013. Wait a minute, that was yesterday. The 16th of February. I'm giving you permission to come in. But it's a one-time only invitation, and it's only good between now and 1.30. It means we have to pray that prayer all the time because there is nothing more deceitful than the human heart. It's desperately wicked, and who can know it? God does. And he says, I love you anyway. I love you with an everlasting heart. If you will let me in, I will put my thoughts and my desires into your very inmost being. And you will, according to Jesus' words, be perfect, even as his Father in heaven is perfect. Loving Father, Abba, Daddy, yes. our love, source, and strength. Amen. Today, we again choose to let you place your character in our minds and hearts. Help us, Lord, to never stand in the way of the working of your Spirit, yes. to transform us into your loving and compassionate children. Lord, we want to be perfect like you are. And that can only be when we let your character shine in our hearts. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Every day and every hour, be our perfection. And make us truly thankful that you have entrusted us with the opportunity to give love to others whose lives are bleak. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Savior. Thank you, Spirit. Dismiss, dismiss us now 
with the peace of your character at home in our minds and hearts. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.